Time for us to discuss our wellness conversation for today, looking at the link uh, between self-sabotage and self-harm, how self-sabotage can contribute sometimes to self-harm. And uh, we are joined, as always, by our resident clinical psychologist, Dr. Kosi Chiyane. Dr. Chiyane, as always, it's good to have you on the show. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you, Gooks, and to our Beloved listeners. Yes. So last week we had an interesting conversation, as we always do, looking at mm. self-sabotage, trying to understand self-sabotage, the ways in which uh, we can be uh, the enemy to our own progress and why mm. sometimes that happens. And at the end of the conversation, we got an SMS uh, from one of our listeners who was concerned about a friend um, <laughs> who was starving themselves um, and as a result of uh, feeling or suffering from suicide ideation. And so that got us thinking about, because of course we were talking about self-sabotage, if there is a connection, a link between self-sabotage and it potentially sometimes leading to self-harm and you know how we make sense of self-harm. So that's why we're having this conversation. And maybe to start, is, is there a connection between I guess, self-sabotage, whether it is intentional or not, and yeah. self-harming behaviors. Right. I, I think that's the most important, you know, foundation that we've got to lay for ourselves uh, before we unpack the rest of the discussion. So, you know, just from based on, on what we discussed last week and some of the crumbs you've thrown on the discussion um, before we began, self-sabotage, are, uh, you know, are the things we do or fail to do that betray um, our own empowerment, right? So it is often unconscious, but not necessarily only. It is often un- unconscious, inadvertent. It is when we use our agency against ourselves. You said we become our own enemy, right? And people would generally say, you know, you're cutting your nose to spite your face type of thing. So when you create um, setbacks or allow those setbacks to defeat you when you are capable of taking the requisite actions, right? So Last week, we talked about making excuses. It could be being rebellious, disregarding, you know, caution or advice from other people, blaming other people instead of taking the necessary action and taking responsibility, procrastination to the point that you end up not doing and you put yourself at a disadvantage. Self-harm, on the other hand, are the more conscious, deliberate actions that we take you know, that are injurious to ourselves. They hurt, they cause harm. And as you rightfully said, the more common ones are, you know, cutting, burning. Um, and although they are painful, right, they are harmful, they are painful, the intention is not terminal. In other words, it is not, it is non-suicidal intention. However, unfortunately, that may be the unfortunate consequence. And so when we were discussing self-sabotage last week, we were looking at sometimes the uh, conscious and sometimes unconscious ways in which, mm. you know, we may, I guess, get in our own way. Right. Um, but it also sounds as if uh, when we discuss self-harm that sometimes there's a little bit of a difference. So, you know, if I, uh, for whatever reason, try and sabotage a new relationship, uh, because I'm afraid of rejection, I'm afraid of hurt. That is an example of self-sabotage. Yes. But if someone is harming themselves because, mm. um, say, they're struggling with a particular mental illness 
or yeah. there's some trauma or, you know, or uh, an illness that is undiagnosed, that is a little bit different to say, you know, yeah. me not doing what I know, what I know I should be doing. So yeah. it sounds as if, you know, sometimes often with self-harm, there is an element of um, something happening in terms of mental health. Right. Yes. So, so the two are closely related, related, but they are not synonymous, right? So sabotage can exist without self-harm. We do that in small and big ways throughout our life journey, right? We sabotage ourselves in one way or another. But self-harm is a very specific form of self-sabotage by virtue of its consequences. So there's a high cost to it but low benefit so as you've just rightfully said right so it is actions that we take uh, so it could be you know different types so one of the ways in which we self-harm it could be when we berate ourselves when we punish when we flog ourselves you know through either cutting for example um, as a way to punish ourselves um, for something that we have failed to do Right. Or we feel because of that, we don't even deserve to a sense of worthlessness because we have perhaps failed to do something. And it hits us very deeply in terms of, oh, you're stupid, you're worthless, you're a failure. Right. And um, you, 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 you perhaps may recognize that you have not put in the requisite effort, right? So in that way, you have sabotaged your own chances. For example, if we talk from a schooling point of view, uh, you've sabotaged your chances of getting into, you know, tertiary or any field that you want to get into or getting, you know, the requisite funding and now you don't have the funding and now you can't get in, right? And so, and so those, th- that sense, maybe that sense of failure and a person may then take those actions. Mm-hmm in order to punish themselves. Yeah. Oftentimes, however, it is the opposite, which you've, um, you know, uh, referred to, uh, when we use that as a way of coping. Or we seek some relief from some overwhelming psychological and emotional pain or distress that we are uh, experiencing or self-soothing from those emotions. Right. So we may cut people may cut, for example, um, as a way to as an outlet or a way of diverting or a way of numbing the pain they feel. So they may cut to feel alive because maybe they their life is in the abyss of despair. Or people may cut because perhaps they blame themselves or perhaps having experienced some sexual abuse, maybe in childhood, and they look back on it and they think, I could have done, I should have done, I should have told and I didn't and so on. Mm. And then, you know, or even in adult life, I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have been drinking. If I was sober, I would have made different decisions and so on. And, you know, those emotions of blame and guilt they may do something to just like divert or to get relief from being overwhelmed by those feelings. Mm. And so even when, um, you know, as this SMS was saying, the concern was that this loved one was, um, you know, had essentially lost the will to live. And it Mm. was manifesting as this um, not eating anymore, which would obviously have an impact on their health and ultimately could lead to uh, to their death. Um, And I think often in that uh, situation very many of us don't know how to assist 
um, how to help. So if someone says to you, um, uh, you know, none of it matters anymore or I, I have no will to live or I actually don't want to eat and you, you do start worrying about, you know, that it is not just, I guess, a phase because I think we all go through difficult patches. Yes. Things do get difficult. Something mm-hmm. big, horrible happens or something yep. traumatic and unexpected and you yep. think this is terrible. But for the most part, you might think it will end though. Even if uh-huh. it is a horrible, horrible thing, it will right. end. But many of us start getting concerned when ourselves or the people we love don't start seeing that it will end. It's horrible now. Uh-huh. And, there's, and, it, and it's almost as if there is nothing you can say. Indeed. And so how do... How do we understand that and assist? Because I think often we'll yeah. hear, especially if someone does eventually um, die as a result of suicide, for instance, people mm. say, oh, but he, he, they had everything going for them. Um, yeah. They had a new job. They had a new wife. Um, you know, the, things were going well for them. I think the week of uh, Ricky Rick's death, um, he just had a big new deal announced and then suddenly there was the news of his death. And I think that was very jarring for a lot of people that, you know, he had his big festival coming up. He just had a business deal announced. It looked like things were good. And mm-hmm. then, you know, the news that he died by suicide. So how do we make sense of that? What would have happened? And I think that's more, that's less a motivation thing, that someone's just not motivated, but there's something yeah. deeper happening, which I think many of us may not understand. Yeah, sure. Gooks, there's so much to unpack in everything that you've said. So, you know, all of us go through the dark night, you know, uh, the, the dark night. Um, as someone said, you know, life dishes out bombs and bouquets with equal indifference. We, we do go through that. What keeps us going is the hope that this too shall end. And people that spiral into depression is people that have lost that hope and are in despair about the situation and usually it's three things it is that it is internal it's me i am the one it is pervasive and it is not just related to this one specific thing but it becomes a halo perspective it 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 is about everything about themselves and thirdly it is that it is enduring it's not going to end this is it this is this darkness is never going to end the sun's never going to shine and therefore you know they spiral into that and then you know they may end up in in places like that so if we come back to this specific um, example of this person that sent the, the, the message. And I'm not sure of the particular dynamic. So we kind of are talking, you know, in the darkness here, because on the one hand, I wonder about whether was it uh, something like anorexia nervosa, for example, or was it depression? And anorexia and depression are linked because somebody who would go to that extent will invariably perhaps be feeling depressed or end up feeling depressed because they have decided, you know, they have self-starved. Um, and, and, and hence it becomes a, a vicious cycle. On the one hand, a person may engage in, you know, a behavior such as self-starving to prevent perceived loss of perceived self-worth. So, for example, if a child has understood that they are loved because they look a certain way and they fear that if I gain weight, I will lose the love of significant others that matter to them. And therefore, the minute they look at themselves in the mirror, whether they actually have gained the weight 
or not, but they perceive themselves as such, then to them that is their reality and they will act based on that. So if you're talking about Rick, for example, and the examples that you've just cited, mm. to us on the outside, it may look like this person was flourishing. Mm. They had but, everything. Aha, they mm. had everything going for them. However, their internal sense of self was that it's a different. The mm-hmm. inside, their inner world and their out, outer world were not in sync mm-hmm. with each other. Yeah. And and I guess that's when we try to understand self-harm and ultimately I think suicide is trying to make sense of that, that it can look as if things are great, things are good. Yeah. These are all things worth, and I put this in quotation marks, worth living for. But mm. the experience, the person's experience is actually very, very uh-huh. different. The, you know, how it feels is very different. Indeed. And and often um, uh, that it is not, um, and I mean, we keep talking about, you know, we should be treating um, self-harm, suicide as health issues. Because I don't think currently we are treating them in that way. We're not understanding them as being you know, in the same way we think about diabetes as a health issue, so we respond in that way. We're not quite there yet. And also thinking about it as a chronic thing, that it very seldom is, you know, the sudden onset, um, you know, it it happens quite randomly. Because I think that's the other thing that confuses many of us when there is, um, you know, self-harm or even suicide. We think, oh, that was so sudden. That came out of nowhere. Uh Um, Whereas often the cases, it's not that way. It's been brewing subliminally like a volcano. It's been brewing underground for some time. What we see is the lava that's that the lava that spills out, you know, and we think, oh, no, 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 this, but it, it, it wasn't. There was stuff going on internally. And, and, and it is unfortunate that as a society, we respond to physical ailment, to physical pain, to physical distress, but not so easily to psychological and emotional distress because that is invisible, right? And and very often, even the person experiencing it may not know what they are going through. And unfortunately, when we go through that, the tendency is to withdraw from society. This is my issue, mm. you know? And, and in doing so, this is my issue. I'm going to have to find my own solution. But because we, you know, we just, the world gets smaller and smaller. The walls feel like they are caving in. Uh, and we we then build a fortress to to hopefully the intention being to keep ourselves together. Unfortunately, it implodes, and we keep people out of it. The very thing we need the most is the very thing we push away. And and sometimes then people will just say, "Well, I tried," you know. And in, indeed, in many cases, they will have. But the fortress, the walls have been built up so much because perhaps the person has been let down so many times that they think the only person that's there, I'm the only person who, who can be there for myself. And, and then they keep people, the very people they need and the help that they need, they keep that, that away from that. They push that away mm-hmm. from themselves and they spiral into this. And unfortunately, if we, if we look at self-starving, for example, it, it may start off as a way of mitigating what they perceive as a problem, right? If I lose weight, then things will be okay. But unfortunately, that behavior has consequences that they may not be aware of. 
And that is that they may start off feeling in control. Yes, they they decide how much they're going to eat or they decide to binge and purge and they decide what they're going to restrict and so on. But eventually there are physiological consequences that they do not have control over. Eventually, that, for example, if they uh, uh, binge or or starve or or even perhaps, um, you know, purge by, by vomiting, Eventually, it has physiological consequences in the body that they have no control over. Even when they want to stop, they can't anymore because the body has now activated a system itself that they don't have control over. And and they may inadvertently end up in a situation that they didn't foresee. And so, Dr. Gianni, I wonder, I was reading a piece by uh, a therapist who um, who herself has struggled with um, her mental health. She says she's experienced suicidal thoughts, mental health crises. And she says one of the things that's difficult is that um, there's, I guess, shame. in. so maybe your friend does Indeed. say to you or your partner or whoever says to you, I'm having a difficult time or I am harming myself or I am having thoughts of dying um not that i'm going to do anything about it or i've thought about doing something about it but there is a sense of shame in feelings of a helplessness or despair or sadness or feeling as if whatever is happening is um insurmountable or is difficult Mm. and i wonder if you know again and maybe it is about normalizing it and treating it like a, a health issue if that is one of the things that makes dealing with these feelings or these experiences so difficult is there is a bit of shame. It's the kind of thing you experience by yourself and you don't tell yeah. other people. Right. And and here's the thing. Again, it's that vicious cycle of that there may not necessarily be shame on the outside from the people on the outside that may be listening. There may not be, but from your own projection of your own shame that you feel about yourself, you project it on other people. So if I feel ashamed of the fact that I have failed my metric, right? So the people, I see myself as being transparent. The people looking at me must be feeling the same towards me. Mm. And therefore, it justifies that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It justifies that I am correct in thinking that they do and it confirms itself we find all the confirmatory evidence to justify the actions that we are going to take because this is the only way out of this there is no other whether we then you know knuckle down whether we build our fortresses and and become impenetrable by any attempts for anybody to help any attempts that they do to help we use that to justify the story that's going on in our own minds. And, and it, it, is, it is a rather very difficult, you know, path to navigate and walk out of. So if we're looking and, and start to think about, you know, ways, how do we make our way out of this? It, it's important to allow our story to be heard, our feelings, our experiences to be heard by someone other than ourselves because they are able to give you a perspective from the outside. And in doing so, allow ourselves to listen, to hear and consider that there is an alternative narrative to this than the one that's recycling itself in my own mind, right? And then secondly, one of the things 
that you know that are useful in specifically in terms of uh, of self harm it is what we we refer to as um the self harm urge for immediate or impulse for instant gratification it feels like this is the only thing and it is so compelling and i have to do it to get relief it is a pact that we need to make with ourselves and often it's the most difficult ask of ourselves in the moment to to defer that gratification mm. You know, we call it surfing, self-harm surfing. In other words, in, and, and having worked in the eating disorders and adolescence ward, one of the things we used to say, it is to make the pact that says, even though it is compelling right now, I will not harm. I would now, immediately, I will only harm myself in five minutes. And to, to sit in that five minutes, to observe, to name these feelings rather than to react to them and feeling like this is the only way to deal with them but it is to defer that urge and it's a big ask yet it is the only well one of the more effective things we have to do with ourselves in that moment mm. and so to the you know the listener that sent us that message obviously very concerned um yes. about a loved one that seems to be you know in quite a precarious harmful uh position um yeah. what is within like the sphere of control because there's only so much they can do and they obviously want to assist and intervene what can they do and anyone else I guess in that situation or someone who might themselves might be the person that's harming themselves yeah I think when a situation has gotten to the point where you recognize that there has been erosion of agency this person is no longer capable of acting in their own best interest this is where you know, there is a kind of a responsibility to be this person's brain, to be the, you know, their second brain or their only brain perhaps in that moment to take the actions that they need, but you can clearly see that they're incapable of taking for themselves. Take that person to a professional. A doctor is a good starting place because they can then do the psychiatric evaluation and refer to the necessary next resources that will be needed by this person. But it is, it is you know, imperative that we take the necessary actions that we know they should take, but they're not taking on their own behalf. Dr. Gianna, as always, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Phew, a difficult one, but thank you mm. nonetheless. And hope that we have thrown some useful crumbs, uh, you know, on any of these issues for any, for any of our listeners. Thank you very much. And, and thank you to the person that submitted, you know, that shared this yes. situation for us to learn from. Mm. That's our yeah. resident clinical psychologist, Dr. Kosi Chiyane. If you would like a topic to be discussed in one of our conversations, you can send it to us on WhatsApp. You can send us a voice note or a message on 0727021702. You can send us an email on gogs at 702.co.za. And if you'd like to remain anonymous, we can absolutely remain anonymous, but unpack the issues and hopefully give you the information um, that you need.